0: hello and welcome to talking hockey sense i'm your host chris peters and this is episode 17 of the podcast so glad you could join me for it we are talking nhl draft today it is all involving your questions my answers really enjoy doing this we did this a few weeks back with nhl draft related questions and i was uh, so blown away by the response not just because of the amount of questions that i got but also the the amount of people that listen to that episode it's still our most popular episode and uh really excited that, that people are enjoying that. So I wanted to do that again as we get closer to the draft. And I may even do it next week as well. Um, but I, I think that that's something that we will uh, continue to, to, to press on for here as, as we just march towards this draft. And it feels like a long time coming. Obviously, with it being in July, it's later than normal. But when you think about it, it's really only nine nine months removed from the last draft that we had. Um, and so it's been a long journey to get here. It's obviously been one of the weirdest seasons that anybody that works in hockey has had to deal with. And also certainly for people like myself that try to watch prospects all over the world, um, doing it mostly in front of a computer screen and, uh, it's been a grind, no question about it, but very excited to get to this draft, and I'm also very excited to get all of your questions, but before we do get to that, I did want to quickly say congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning, your Stanley Cup champions, back to back, and I did write on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters a piece about the the Tampa Bay Lightning that I wanted to talk just a little bit about here, just to give you a taste, because I think that what what Tampa has done as an organization, you know, a lot has been made about how well they draft, and that's it's usually boiled down to well they just draft really well. And and that's true, but there's a lot more to it to that. Yes, they draft well, no question about it. You, their top 7 scorers in the postseason were draft picks. But they also develop very well. At, at any one moment, it feels like there are two or three players in their AHL roster that could play on their NHL team called up, seamless transition, you know, makes, makes an impact. You think about so so many of those guys that played for Norfolk and when they won the Calder cup under John Cooper years back, but then also now Syracuse, uh, playing for Benoit Gru And now it's really, uh, you know, Ross Colton who scored the, 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 the Stanley cup clinching goal is a great example of how they draft and develop because he, he was a guy that was a mid round pick. He was a, you know, draft eligible for, I think the second or third time in his career. And they pick him. He had a great season with Cedar Rapids in the USHL. They pick him. He he goes to college for two years, then he plays two years in the AHL. And then this season he played 30 games for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the regular season and makes a huge impact in the playoffs. And not only scoring that game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup clinching game, but also just how well he played throughout as a two-way forward and, and, and fits the archetype of the guys that, that, Tampa seems to target in those mid rounds, and there's a little bit more detail on that in the piece on hockey sense. But I also wanted to shout out the 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 front office because obviously the scouts have done a phenomenal job. Al Murray deservedly gets a ton of credit as one of the best eyes in the game um, in terms of uh, identifying talent. But when you actually look, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning's first round draft record is not overly impressive compared to the fact how they've done in the mid rounds. Of the nine players that were drafted since Victor Hedman, only two are still with the organization. And one of them is Andre Vasilevsky. The other is Cal Foot, who did not play much or did not play at all in the playoffs. So, you know, all the other players they had, they didn't just waste those assets. And that's something that I get into in the piece. You can read more about that. But all of those players that were the first round draft picks were traded away. And with the exception of Brett Connolly, who was the first pick of the Steve Iserman era all of those players ended up becoming, uh, you know, assets that were traded for pieces that are currently on this team. And so it's, it's kind of remarkable to see that there's not just great draft prospects and great talent that, that affects their NHL roster, but they've, they haven't wasted assets either. And those guys that are former first round picks, they always seem to have elevated value. Um, There are teams that, you know, maybe believe in them more because of that. And in the end, you know, you think about guys that, that, Turned into draft picks, and you can read a lot more about that on Hockey Sense, which is a great reminder now to, to say, Hey, if you want to subscribe or if you want to support this podcast, one of the best ways to do that, really the best way to do that, is to subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockey sense.substack.com. Chris Peters hockey.com will also get you to the site. You sign up, you put in your email address, and then you can choose if you want to just have be on the free email, which is fine, but also if you do want to support the work that I'm doing. There is the premium subscription, $6 a month, $54 a year. And there's also the supporting subscriber option, which is if you really, really like me and you really believe in in supporting independent media, you can provide a fee over and above the $54 annual fee and it just does help that that money goes back into the site, it helps me deal with expenses and other things like that, travel. So thank you to anyone that has put any amount of money forward. It really does help uh, get this thing going and allows me to keep doing it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that you guys are enjoying the content that I'm putting out. And if you uh, do sign up, you will be able to get to the draft rankings for this year. I did draft class superlatives where I talk about who's the best at what skills. Um, You'll also get uh, other things like that that lightning piece that I mentioned, which is part of a larger newsletter that I try to do as much as possible, where I cover so many different facets of the game. There's also talk about the U S women's national team and their residency program and some of the roster decisions that were made ahead of the Olympics there. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of different content that you'll be able to get on hockey sense. And as I said, it really does help support this podcast. Another great way to support the podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, give us a, a five-star rating and a review uh, written reviews are so important And so if you can take a few minutes to just put a sentence in there about how you feel about the podcast It really helps us get up those charts I think that you know people have been so kind and generous to do that so far and if you uh, Put those five-star reviews out And leave a little uh, note on there I'm going to start reading a few of those on the podcast just to, to give shout outs to you as a, as a thank you and, and also uh, uh, Just to let other people know that that is very helpful All right. Other news in the NHL. Lots of it. I don't want to get into it too much because it seems like as I record this, every time I try to do something, another piece of news breaks. So I think the best thing that we can do is not talk about Pierre Maguire going to the Ottawa Senators, not talk about the Duncan Keith trade, not talk about Ryan Suter and and Zach Parisi uh, going, uh, getting bought out, not talking about Pecorino retiring. I mean, all that stuff is is important and you it will be addressed, I'm sure, on other podcasts. But today is all about the NHL draft. And there are a few questions that were sent in that aren't draft related that I felt like I... Could answer, but uh, mostly you are going to be hearing about the 2021 NHL draft class here. So let's get started with this Q and A. All right, our first question comes from Trevor. There is a pretty agreed upon top nine in the first round, right? Is the rest of the projected first round very similar, or is there another tier after that that drops off again at a later pick? All right. Well, yes, I would say in general the top nine or so, nine or 10 skaters in this draft are widely considered, you know, set. I I don't necessarily think that that's 100% correct, but I do think that there is a belief that the, you know, the tier, the tiering of the first round, there is a drop, um, not a significant one, and especially not if you include the goaltenders in that 10 to 13 range Um, I think that the goalies are really the wild cards I don't think every team would have them rated as highly as as others Um, just that may be need-based that may be other things but you look at the goalies and and either could potentially sneak into that top 10 which kind of breaks it up a little bit but I think in general you know your your consensus of that top 10 is largely going to be Owen Power, Matty Beneers, uh, William Eklund, Dylan Gunther, Luke Hughes, Kent Johnson, Mason McTavish of course, Brant Clark, Simon Edvinson, and then it, after that, you know, you'd say where do the goalies go? Is Chaz Lucius in that group? Some would say yes, some would say no. Is uh, you know, it, are there other players in that group? It, it really kind of depends. I I'm not I'm not 100% sold on on their, you know, being that set consensus. But I think really in that 13 range 12 to 13 range is where I start to see the dissipation. Then you look at kind of that 14 to about 20. I feel like there's another gap between that group and the next group. And then that that beginning group, that's where you start to see guys like potentially Carson Lambos, Atzuratu, um, you know, latter half to latter third of the first round type players. Um, with no guarantee that any of those guys, you know, go in the first round. Um, and I think that that's really where the public lists and the NHL lists are probably going to differ most, is in who that next, you know, next group of players is in that latter third of the first round. Um, I think in general, you know, players like um, like Wallstedt and Kosa and Lucius, you know, I think that Projecting them as first half of the first round, like top fifteen picks, is pretty easy. It becomes a little more difficult when you say, "Okay, well, is it what about Fabian Lucelle, uh, Feder Svechkov, Nikita Triberkov Cole Sillinger, Matthew Coronado, uh, those types of players?" That's where you start wondering where they are going to slot in. So I think that that's kind of. The the long story short is I think you got a really good feel for who the top ten to thirteen players are that are going to go are and then after that it starts to really um, thin out and I think for our teams very different you know you look a lot of these players are polarizing if you just look at my list and you look at some of the guys that are in the back half of the first round Logan Stankovan, uh Brennan Othman could go higher than I have him. Um, Mackie Samuskевич is he a first round draft prospect not you know I have him that way but I know that teams that that, that don't um, Zachary Bolduke same thing. Is he a first rounder for me? Yes. For other teams? No. So I, I think that that's, that's, there's a lot of variance in that latter half or latter third of that first round, um, which will be fascinating to watch as just a draft watcher and, and somebody that enjoys drama. Um, so I, I would say that that's where things are. And, and really, once you start getting from that, that 25 range to the, to 40 to 50, even, I think that you're, you're, you're probably going to get a similar player in that range. Um, it's not a hundred percent guaranteed, but that's kind of the way that I see it. Is is I think that those players, um, you know, there's going to be a lot more similarities, and and you're not going to feel like you're leaving as much value on the table um, if you if you go ahead and reach for a guy in that latter half of the first round or a perceived reach by the public, which may not be for NHL teams. As I've said many times, NHL teams don't tend to tell us who we're picking and they certainly don't ever show us their lists. So uh, it's tough to say for sure, but I would say that that's uh, uh, worth noting. All right, our next one, and these are, I'll I'll answer these together because I think they could end up being the same thing. At At MVP 96, which player that you currently have ranked outside of your top 20 has the chance to turn into the best player to come out of this draft in 10 years? And at Hockey Tamo, any dark horse- horses who could turn into real gems in the long run. So I think the likelihood of somebody that falls outside of the top 20 in this draft being the best player of them all is I wouldn't say unlikely outright. Um, but I don't I, I feel like there is a significant enough separation between that group and and then outside of the top 20 that you know wouldn't necessarily fit in there so the interesting thing is is I I look down the list and I say okay well there are a lot of players but one that I often come back to there are actually two because Prohor Pultipov is somebody that I have in the late first round it is higher than most have him um He's an average-sized Russian who's only okay at skating, but, I mean, he is an absolute um, competitor, a great skilled player, has great hands. And, you know, I look at Svechkov and and Chibrikov, and they're ahead of him now in their development and in their strength and in their, their overall games and the maturity of their games. But Poltapov has electric puck skills and has great creativity And uh, a high-end shot, he gets to the middle of the ice really well. Those are the things I like about him. His numbers are also very strong. Um, You know, as a U18 player in in the cage, or sorry, in the MHL, you know, one of the top scorers in that league. And I think that matters quite a bit. He had a very good not amazing, but a very good under 18 world championship. Do I think that he'll get picked in the first round? I'm, I don't think so. I do believe though, that he very well could be one of the better players Um, in the long run. I think his skating does need to get better for that to to come true, but I really like the player. And I think that his competitiveness, his ability to get inside and his creativity are all things that are unique to him in the range that he'll likely be selected. Um, to get to the other part, you know, it's just to not double up answers. I think there are quite a few players throughout this draft and you'll see them all over the place. Um, oh, it's all right. I didn't even get to that second player that I was going to talk about. Zachary LaRue, who I have lower, um, mostly because of, you know, the fact that there's been some suspensions and things like that, but you look at his skill level and his skill level is not really any in question at all in terms of his, his, his puck skills, his ability to make plays, his shooting, his passing. Um, you know his ability to to, to be physical. All those things are good. Um, it's just you know he's a guy that got suspended four times this year. And and how much risk are you willing to put into that? So you look at a guy like that and say maybe he falls because of those things, but because of the skill level, is able to make a huge impact down the line. So those are two guys that are that are candidates. I think in terms of later players that could really become um, gems to to get to the the next part um, in terms of you know, guys that I think will probably go in the second round. You know, I think one guy that is, is kind of can be polarizing is, is Ayrton Martino, who played for the Omaha Lancers this year in the USHL high, high end skill, 1.47 points per game in the league and in, in 38 USHL games. Um, you know, he, he challenged defenders with his hand skills and his puck skills and, and just his ability to, to get around them, you know, made, made a lot of plays this year, fine skater, um, and he, he's, he's headed to Clarkson next year where, you know, that's not necessarily been a pro factory, but they're going to make him play a really responsible two-way game there. And I think that, 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 he's a, he's a guy that has enough skill to be valued in that, that top 50 range, um, that could potentially grow into something a lot more later on. Um, there are some other guys like Jack Peart, uh, from Fargo, who also played uh, in Grand Rapids high school this year was Minnesota's Mr. Hockey. Um, you know, I think based on what I saw in his games in the USHL and certainly in high school, you know, he could, he has good offensive potential. Um, you know, he's headed to St. Cloud state where he's going to probably play a big role right away. That matters a lot. Uh, you know, that could help him really round out his game. Um, I think some of the other guys that you'll see even later, um, you know, guys that, that could eventually find their way to NHL teams, um, you know, one one of the interesting players that I I think will come out of this draft that has a chance to do more than where he's slotted, um, at least for me, is Artem Grushnikov, who didn't play anywhere this year, which is the real concern. And you know, I don't know what that means for his draft stock, but this is a guy that's played up a level. You know, typically as an underager at. And uh, for Team Russia at many international tournaments, and has done more than hold his own. He's actually been very good. He's got good offensive abilities, good footwork, you know, really solid skater. But we haven't seen him play in a year, and that's where you say, okay, well, what kind of value can be generated from a player like that? So I do think that there is still value to to be garnered from from such kind of players. So um, you know, if you're looking for late round sleepers, I do have a piece up on Hockey Sense. Um, one of the guys that, you know, that I've been, that there are two really gifted offensive defensemen that if they can just clean up their games defensively, they, they have a real chance. And that's Brent Johnson from the Sioux Falls Stampede, who is one of the best passers in this draft for my money. I mean, he, he snaps them off so well from the point he spots it spots, plays well, really good with passing the puck, And he's a Texas native 32 points as a USHL rookie. He's headed to North Dakota next season. Um, so he's, he's, uh, you know, ahead of schedule, I think of where a lot of people thought he would be. I know there are some people that have him in the um, the high 30s or you know the high 30s or the you know 40s range, you know, second round prospect. I have him um, quite a bit lower, just because of some of the concerns I have about his defense and his skating just at his size. Uh, but that's interesting. And Then, if you want to look at a guy who size is not a concern, um, it's Logan Mayu who played a portion of the season in Sweden's third division. Produced at a very high clip. he's He's been an offensive defenseman for forever. Defensively, uh, he just needs so much work. And so I think there's so much risk with a player that needs that much help. Because, you know, the offense can carry you. But if you are deficient at, at defensively to the point where the offense is negated, um, which I think at times it was this year, then you have to make a lot of different a lot of different calculations in terms of how, wh- where, what, at what point of the draft is it willing to take that risk? But those are two guys that I have kind of in the lower, lower phases of my draft rankings that I think could really be quality players down the line if things go well in their development and they take the right steps going forward. All right, the next one comes from at drw talk. The first round of the MLB draft was wild. The consensus top guys didn't go how most expected. Do you think the NHL draft will be as weird as the MLB? I think we'll see the consensus that the consensus top nine that the industry has identified won't fall that way come July 23rd. So this kind of goes back a little bit towards the uh, the last question that we had about the the consensus top nine. And I think that that's really the case. Really what, what changes that is where the goalies go, where, um, you know... What we don't know is what is Steve Eiserman going to do? What is Yarmo Kekalainen going to do? That's, you know, Kekalainen's at five. Yeah, Iserman's at six. They've always been wild cards. They, you know, they, they definitely have their feel for who is the right kind of player for them. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see. I think Mason McTavish is probably the best chance at being a disruptor in terms of where he goes. And if he could go much earlier than a lot of the consensus would have him at this point. I think NHL Scouts just really love a lot about his game, but I, I also think that, you know, the, the thing that gave me pause and why he wasn't in the top five in my last mock draft is you know, the skating is not at a level that screams top five to me. You know, I think that other guys like Eklund and, and Dylan Gunther have that skating ability that could potentially go. So I think there there is a chance, and then there is always the possibility that somebody that we don't expect at all. Goes in that top ten range, um, and I it, it wouldn't surprise surprise me to see it that way. You know, the interesting thing about the MLB draft is it's such a it's such a different kind of animal in terms of how how the draft actually goes. I think even there's even less because the players have a certain amount of leverage um, in that situation, especially the ones that could potentially go to college or you know make other decisions. It it doesn't the draft order doesn't always necessarily reflect. And I mean, this is true in all sports, but it doesn't necessarily reflect who the best player is. It, it, it's just often who the, who is a player that they feel most confident that they can get signed um, at the at the right price, and I think that's always the challenge of the MLB. But I think in terms of the NHL, because of the way that this year was set up, nothing would surprise me in the top ten. Um, I, I would I would think that it's most likely going to be very similar to the consensus, but not directly the same. So I think that that's something that we'll have to look out for, but I'm really excited to see what happens. I really do think that the, you know, really even the ducks at three, I mean the cracking at two, that's really where the draft kind of begins. And who knows, maybe the Sabres throw a curveball in that, with that first pick. All right. This next one comes from Chris Pervarian, who's a hockey sense subscriber and has asked uh, some questions on this podcast before. And I always appreciate Chris's questions. Hey, Chris, hope you're getting to relax a bit after your rankings were released and ahead of the draft. I am not, but that is all. Thank you for wishing that for me. I will be taking a brief vacation soon. Weird question, but do you ever factor a player's personality into their overall evaluation? In other words, during a normal season, do you put much stock, if at all, into how a player conducts himself during an interview? Really good question. And the answer is actually, yes, Uh, this, this does happen. And it's not so much the personality. It's the way a player handles himself, um, the way they answer questions, the biggest thing that I'm looking for when I'm asking players questions about their game is, is this a player that has great self-awareness? Is this a guy who understands his strengths and weaknesses? Not that he was told them, but he knows that they what they are, and will he put the time in to work on those things. Um that's something I can't know after the fact, but I it's always interesting to hear a player identify their strengths and weaknesses because I do think that that is a hugely important thing to do to to know how to do in order to maximize your development. I think self-awareness is one of the You know, knowing, knowing where you're at as a player. And that's why I have so much respect for guys like William Eklund and Owen Power for saying, I think I might go back to to school for another year. I might go back to Europe for another year because I think that'll get me more prepared for the NHL, you know, arrive when you're ready. and, And that's, that's a thing. I'll use an example. I've used this before in terms of personality, but I think that an interview that, that solidified, it didn't change my ranking, but it did help solidify the way that I felt about a player. Was I at the combine two years ago? Um, I was able to get set up with a lot of one on ones with prospects, um, through the NHL when I was at ESPN, which is, you know, something that that was one of the the, the perks of being at a, at a big place like that. And it was for a, a series that we would do where we would read scouting reports to players and then have them, you know, assess their own games off those scouting reports and, um, and that was always one of my favorite kind of things to do. Cause it, you really do get a sense of the players and, and how they, how they handle themselves. Um, and, and what, what it's like when they hear what a person thinks of them, especially when it's negative. Um, and you know, most of those went really fast and they were, you know, they were pretty easy, but the, you know, I, I met with Nick Robertson who ended up being selected in the second round that year, um, as a first round. Uh, as, as one of the players, because I thought he was one that had a pretty polarizing view in his, his, draft year. I knew that I had him as a top 20 talent in his draft. Um, but I was also familiar that NHL scouts did not feel the same way I did. They were concerned about his size and his skating, um, and whether or not he would translate. I still think that there's things that he could work on there, but I had this conversation with Nick Robertson. Um, and he just had such a great sense of self in terms of what he needed to do. Um, he, he had great maturity, I also had talked to him earlier in the year and I think that I had seen, you know, just over the course of a, a season the maturation. He wasn't just giving me these canned answers. He was really being thoughtful about what he was saying and and trying to, you know, accept the criticism and then also push back gently but but also understanding that there was some validity to it. Um so things like that help, but it you know we rarely get those opportunities as as journalists to talk to those players in that one on one format. Um, it's often in scrums. It's often at the end of games. It's a, it's in a inopportune times. It might we might be working on something, and since we're media, we also get different answers than they would probably give um, NHL scout. So I always have to take that into consideration as well. But, you know, I think of players who have impressed me with their personalities and it didn't necessarily move their draft stock, but it at least helped me feel more confident about certain things about them. I'd say Moritz Sider is one of them. Um, an absolute definite guy that, that, that made an impact on me and with how he handled himself. But, you know, Robertson is, is one that sticks out, uh, quite, quite notably, at least for me. All right. Our next question comes from at the custodian. What traits do you value highest when evaluating prospects and when watching them and doing reports? Do you assign numerical grades within various categories, skating sense, skill, etc., to have hard evidence to fall back on come ranking time? Love the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the nice compliment. And you know, this has been uh, a year where you're you're constantly evaluating how you evaluate because it you you have to kind of make things. Um, a little different you know you have to approach things a little differently obviously watching so many players on video versus you know the players that i did get to see live this year um, and you know i was constantly doing that before back when i you know was first starting out and doing a lot of this off of video but i think that um, the the things the things that i value most i mean hockey sense which is a catch-all term for so many different things but you know just the things that i really focus in on with players when it comes to hockey sense is you know, how quickly they can process the game, um, their vision, their creativity, uh, the, you know, their cleverness, the, their ability to find lanes and different things like that. Um, you know, timing, um, positioning, all those things, I think come into play into the hockey sense. And then it's also like, what are the little things that they know how to do that other players their age don't yet? I mean, that's always an interesting thing. You know, how do they maximize all of their physical skills with the way that they think the game, um, that's constantly something that I, I i am trying to to find in players i definitely have have upped the level that i value skating um, and which is tough in this draft because there are so many skaters that that are not um of the highest quality but you know i think that Hockey sense is one of those things that can make up for a skater that's not as good, and you're going to find that you're looking for a lot of those different traits that players have in this draft class that will make up for for lack of skating. But I think as the NHL continues to get faster, um, you know, the the speed is becoming a bigger part of it, and at some, you know, depending on the player, I think that that can give them an advantage. Um, still, very, very heavily weighted towards skill players, you know, more dynamic skill that is gonna make a difference for a player. Um, the creativity that they have with the puck, the, the handles, the, the ability to get shots off, the ability to finish plays is really what's important. I think there are a lot of players that have skill. Um, there are a few that can put the skills together in order it, that allows them to create the space necessary to make a play, to, to get the shot, to find an open passing lane. So that's the thing that I'm looking at. I'm, I'm more critical about how a player uses their skill and how effective it is, because there, I, I, you know, I you'll hear me say it on scouting reports and other things that I just want to see a player finish more plays, and that's completing a pass or you know making the right read if you have to dump the puck in, dump the puck in if you have to, um, you know, if you have an open sc- uh, shooting lane, you shoot it, and all those other things. I think that that's uh, the thing that I'm really looking for in terms of assigning numerical grades. You know, this is one thing that I do not do that I know. Many professional scouts and many scouting staffs have their own systems and rating systems for skills. So I do not assign a numerical value. Which, believe me, I I have constantly been trying to find a way to do that better. Um, As I, you know, I'm I'm always looking for ways to improve my evaluation. I think that's one thing that I do need to try and do more of. As and I found that this year is, you know, making notes off a video. Um, trying to make sure that you're, you're you're consistent in that I do keep everything that I do just to give you a little insight into how I keep things together all of my game reports are in one place eventually they they eventually end up in the same excel sheet that I use for every player um, I'm constantly updating my rankings within that and it's often you know based on you know i try i try to assign, you know terms to each player, where whether it's average, above average, elite, you know, high end. Those are the kind of the designations, and you'll see those in my in my reports that I put on the website, um, where you know that's that's where I kind of use as a separating. It leaves an it leaves a little more wiggle room than necessarily assigning a numerical order, and it allows me, I think, it, it allows me to kind of adjust that on the fly a little bit more than you know assigning numbers for each thing um it, it just it's not really how my brain tends to work and see players now if i was in a system where they they had a very a dedicated system to numbering them then yes i would absolutely adapt to that but i think that the way that i do things right now it's just for me personally i feel that i you know i can visualize it a little bit better if i'm not putting them into that numbers in a box and I'll, and I'll go and adjust and I'll say, you know, this player I, I viewed as an average skater. I think he's an above average skater or a below average skater, or he's a bad skater, you know, those, those types of things. Um, I, I think that that's just for me personally, uh, a more effective way for me to get the, the right reads on players. Um, and it's, you know, especially in this analytical world that we're in, you know I, I definitely value the the numerical stats that I do look at on, on the things but assigning numerical value to subjective tools um, doesn't really work for me that well so it's a great question I think a lot of teams do it that way because they want that certainty it's just you have to be confident in your process and and how you you know work through that and is it getting the same results? you know, all the time and, and for me, I feel like I'm getting good results with that system or results that I'm comfortable with. So I, I think that's why I'll I'll continue to do it that way. But I, I love that question and I think that's it's something that I'm constantly looking at in how can how, how can I improve my process, especially on the back end when it is time to to, to actually go and rank them. And sometimes I'll be honest, like it just it, it comes down to feel like I like this player better than that player based on the conglomeration of skills that I see in that player or something I know about that player that maybe doesn't necessarily fit as tidally into the scouting report. Um, so that that is something that happens as well over the course of the process, especially late. Our next one comes from N- at NHL to Seattle. Long-time listener, first-time caller, what skills can be coached, improved upon the most for draft-eligible players? Conversely, what skills are most challenging to improve upon for draft eligible players, I'll hang up and listen. Thank you very much, uh, John, for your uh, for your old school radio calling. That's how I I fell asleep to uh, sports talk shows when I went to bed uh, when I was a kid because I was that weird kid that did that kind of thing. Um, and so I'll hang up and listen. Just uh, it brings back memories. I appreciate that. Well, well, listen to this one, John. So basically, I think there's a couple of different things. The first thing, obviously it's so obvious the experience, you know, I think that there is so much gained from experience moving up the ladder and that allows players that that's where their hockey sense begins to adjust. The more they play, the better they get at, at figuring out different patterns, the better, the, you know, the way they anticipate better. Those are all things that I, I think will improve over time. They're not just natural things that, are the way that they are when a player is drafted. And I think that that development of hockey sense can really be the separating factor over the course of a player's career because it could have been a reason why some of them were drafted later, but as they gained experience, it allowed them to play the game better. So I think that that's one thing that absolutely can be improved upon. I don't think it can be coached necessarily, but I think it can be trained in some regard and just over repetition. That's where hockey sense and those types of things just really improve. It seems obvious to say it, but sometimes, you know, that I, I think it's underregarded in terms of what, you know, what experience actually does for a player on top of their training and everything else getting stronger. Um, I do think that you can improve skating to a certain degree. I think that there's a lot of great skating coaches out there that are constantly working with players to get their stride. I think John Tavares is is a great example of a player who improved his stride even after he was in the NHL. Um, you know, I think that that's something that they're going to be looking at guys like Brant Clark in this class. And, and, and I think even Mason McTavish, you know, try, how do we, how do we get them to, uh, get the proper stride, get the better, get a little better footwork. You know, um, those are things that that can be coached up a bit by certain, certain people shot is another thing that we see players improve all the time. Um, you know, focusing on different shot angles, make, you know, shooting off different feet, um, having different release points, that all comes with training, practice, repetition. You look at guys like Daryl Belfry that uh, that work with NHL players and they're constantly retooling shots and things like that. So um, those, those can be improved as well. I really think anything can be improved. It's just more difficult to get through to some things. And I think one of the things that a lot of NHL scouts, coaches, all those others that believe isn't something that can necessarily improved over time is work ethic the compete level things like that where it's just kind of baked into the player and if you don't see it at one level it's harder to imagine it's going to materialize at other levels and sometimes players aren't challenged enough to get to that level so i think you know those are those are things where that's really on the player i will say that any player that's dedicated to their craft is going to find ways to improve. They're going to find ways to get better. Um, it's not always something that a coach can do or say to them, but but that's that's kind of where it is. I, I think you know there are skilled coaches for everything now. There are so many people that are working with players, and I think that's a great thing because I think we're seeing those improvements. The creativity, the skill level of players in the NHL today is far greater than I think it's ever been. Um, and they're also really good at defending and things like that. But, um, but yeah, but I think, I I hope that answers your question. It's a tough one to answer because I think, you know, there are things that are really difficult to improve on and skating is really one of those things where it is, it is difficult, but it can be done because we've seen it done before. But are you going to make a dramatic improvement in that? I don't necessarily think so, although I'm sure there are plenty of skate, skating coaches out there. And if you'd love to advertise on this podcast, skating coaches go right ahead um, that, that would believe that they could uh, improve improve a player's stride. And, and I think there are going to be a lot of players in this draft class that should be uh, consulting with skating coaches this offseason and beyond. This next one comes from at 99 Reed balloons. I love that that uh, that handle. It seems as though there are many teams willing to move first pi- first round picks this year, which probably reflects the talent available on the trade block, but also how some GMs feel about the draft. Are there a few teams that you know of that value this draft more than others? Not necessarily. I feel like you know there are certainly some some staffs out there that believe um, that they have a better handle on this draft. I think. You know, that's, that's been reported in other places. Everybody's going to say that they're confident in their list right now. They like where they're at. They feel prepared. Um, but I do think that the relative lack of certainty that's coming into this draft, where there's really no consensus, there's not a whole lot of flow to the lists. There's wide, wide variance in where teams have certain players, which I think is not completely unusual, but I think it's more pronounced this year. Um, So I don't necessarily know that there are certain teams out there. I think the teams that are are in the later first round would probably be more willing to, to move picks if there are moves to be made. I mean, you think about the different talent that, that we've heard about, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko wants out of St. Louis um, we just saw that Eric Johnson waived his no trade or no move clause for Colorado, which opens him up and, and also would make him available for uh, the expansion draft if need be. I think we're not going to really know what the draft movement is going to look like until we know what Seattle is doing and what kind of moves and side deals they're making. Um, protected lists will be due this weekend uh, as we record this, so that could really help shake up the trade market and also see kind of what teams are willing to do what. Um, and if I'm Seattle, I'm not worried about collecting more first round draft picks in a weaker year. I'd say, Hey, let's go. I mean, give it, let's load up on it. Let's get as many people as we can uh, in this early stage. And, you know, we'll, we'll also hopefully get some, some good pieces for the NHL team. So that's kind of where I'm at. I think that most teams, feel like they have a really good handle on the draft but they're also going to have a really good handle on how to value their first round picks i think those later first rounds especially if you have a second round pick this year you're probably not going to feel too terrible giving that up so um it's just something to think about as we move forward here into this where where teams are trying to figure out what they're going to do all right At adam adam flatt asks What's the better first round haul for the Red Wings? Mason McTavish and Nikita Chibrikov or Dylan Gunther and Zachary Bullduke? And what's your best case for the Wings? Thanks and hope you're well. Thank you, Adam. I am doing well. I I hope that you're well as well. Um, So if we're looking at that, I think that, you know, Nikita Chibrikov falling to 23 would be very fortuitous um, (laughs) if it happens. But him, McTavish and Chibrikov, to me, would be the better first round haul than Gunther and Bolduc, especially since the Red Wings are going to need center depth. That they are going to need some skill, and you can get that with Chibrikov. I think McTavish is your all around center, does everything pretty well, shoots well, passes well. Um, you know, is is nasty, and then Chibrikov is all skill. He he does have some physicality to him, a little bit of edge. Um, and uh, you know, I think that that's a good thing. So if you can get those two players, I think you're thrilled. Even if you get Gunther and Bolduk, I think you're thrilled as well. I think Bolduk could be a little bit of a reach towards the end, or you know, at that at 23. Just not necessarily because he's kind of that's right around the range that he is on my rankings. But I I, I do think that you know you can get McTavish and Chibrikov, and that that would be very favorable. Um, I think Chibrikov is the better asset than Bolduk, and McTavish isn't so far away from Gunther that's the reason why I would I would say that's better even though I do have Gunther higher than McTavish on my personal list I think the best case scenario for the wings right here is you know if you can come out with a cornerstone piece with that sixth round pick and I think their best chance to do that is by taking a goaltender which I know there are plenty of people that are so nervous about the goalie situation but I think you know if you can nab one of those two goalies in that range I do think that that is a that is maybe the best play. For the Red Wings. Now, if McTavish is there at six, which in my most recent mock draft he was, and I had them taking him, um, I think that changes the calculus a little bit. You know, I think you want to center if it's at all possible. If it's not, that's when I'd say, let's look at the goaltenders. Uh, and so you say that and then you you know, you look for value later on and you say, Okay, what what risks am I willing to take in that twenty three range? Who are the players that are going, going to you know conceivably be there and there's a number of guys that i think make plenty of sense that will be maybe not amazing blue chip prospects but guys that could play at the nhl level you know perhaps is is um you know atu ratu there at that point are you willing to take the risk on a guy that many people believe was the number one prospect coming into the season and, and fell out of favor there um, is one of the defensemen like a Corson Coolemans or Carson Lambos available in that range? I think that would also be a very nice little uh, haul there for the Red Wings if they were able to say get what McTavish or a goaltender and one of those defensemen, especially with, you know having having more at cider in the pipeline almost there. Um, I like their chances of, of different players. And I think, you know, if you're looking for a value pick, you know, the guy that's number 23 on my list is Logan Stankovan is undersized, but he is a, you know, I think he's got some incredible skill. You know, he, he reminds me of the type of player that the, that the Tampa Bay lightning would target in the mid mid rounds and where everybody's like, how did they get that guy? I think Logan Stankovan could be one of those guys if, and, and he could be available there for the Red Wings. All right. This next one is very, very specific. But as I said on Twitter, if you ask me a question, my Midwestern guilt forces me to answer it. And and I love it, you know, but I love this because it's, it's, it's from Maryland native himself at Scotty Waz, one of the OGs of hockey Twitter. And really, you know, he's, he's been around the block plenty of times. You can often see him at University of North Dakota games as well. Uh, but Scotty asks a very Maryland specific question because he wants to know Is Bryce Montgomery someone I should start the Maryland hockey hype train for? Uh, Bryce Montgomery is a six foot five, 220 pound defenseman, right shot defenseman, um, who is a late 2002, born in November of 2002, from Bowie, Maryland played for Team Maryland, um, and also played some some high school hockey in Maryland before going off to Cushion Academy for prep school. Now, Montgomery, the problem here is, is that Montgomery did not play uh, this season. He is a member of the London Knights in the OHL. He played 33 games last season as a rookie, had two assists in those 33 games, and then, as, as I mentioned, OHL doesn't play this year. He did play in the... Uh, the, the event, the PBHH Hockey Showcase in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania, which a lot of those displaced OHLers were able to play. I thought he handled himself well. The question I have is, are teams comfortable enough? Now, he's got the size profile NHL Teams Love. He's a right shot defenseman as well. But the big question about Bryce Montgomery at this point is, how much risk are we willing to take on a guy that didn't play all this year that has so much development ahead of him? You know, is is this a situation where we just kind of wait and see? I think, you know, for for Bryce, he may not have his name called at this draft. Um, it's certainly possible. I think the skating needs to come along more. Um, but he's got a lot of tools and he's got upside. There's no question. I think there's potential there. You know, so if there's a team that sees him at, at his size and everything and and, 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 the overall package that he has, in, in terms of, you know, being that right shot defenseman, being a guy that can, you know, play play a physical game, you're not going to have to worry about him tacking on weight or things like that because he's already such a such a big big human. Um, I'd be interested to see if a team takes a flyer on him in those late rounds, just because of that that size profile. I'm not necessarily certain that he did enough in that essentially couple weeks of hockey. Uh, at the PBHH Invitational to warrant a selection this year. But, Scotty, by all means, start the Maryland hype train. Get it going for him so that he can uh, maybe maybe get a chance here. But uh, Bryce Montgomery is a player that I have looked in on, and I think that there's enough there for him to get drafted. I just don't know necessarily how willing teams are going to take that risk. But, if Scotty, if you want to publicly petition all of those teams, uh, absolutely do it. All right. Our next one comes from Andrew Widmeyer, and he asks: Every year, it seems like there are there's one or two guys rated highly that last much longer than anyone would expect. Who from this class do you think that is, or think is at risk of a pretty decent fall, and why do you think that happens? I think the guy that is most likely to drop, especially from what is available in the public space, which is, you know think about all the elite prospects, future considerations, you know, even some of the, the TSN lists, um, central scouting, even bumped them down a little bit, uh, already. And that is Fabian Lassell from Sweden. And he is one of my personal favorites in this draft. And as I mentioned, he's, he's, he's a favorite of a lot of people in the public space. And, um, and I don't blame them for it because there are not many players that jump off of a video screen the way that Lucell does. And he is a highly skilled player, one of the quickest players in this draft. I think he's also one of the best skating forwards and an absolute weapon in transition. Um, but there was at least you know some eyebrows raised when Lucelle was not named initially to the summer evaluation camp for, for Sweden that's coming... For, for the U-20 team. And they're coming to Plymouth, Michigan. I'll be there to watch them. Um, LaSalle was not on the initial roster. However, William Eklund is no longer going to that event. So they added LaSalle. So he was the last, um, uh, you know, he was basically the first man in if somebody was was not going to play. So they obviously like him. But from what I continue to hear, now I he, to me, he's a top 15 pick. I do not think he's going to go in the top 15 in this draft. I, I And he could slip into the latter half, maybe the latter third of the first round. So going back to that that Red Wings question, LaSalle might be there at twenty three. So who knows? But I think he's the guy that is most at risk of a of a pretty significant drop. I think there's some concern about is is he um you know is he is, can he be a little soft at times is he is he can he be hard to play against can he do more than produce off the rush can he make plays in stationary positions can he make plays in, in sustained pressure situations I mean there are a lot of different things that we don't necessarily know about him and you know LaSalle, you look at his statistical profile this year he played 26 games in the SHL had three points um didn't play a ton of minutes also, you know, when he was in the U20s this year in the um, playing for Ferlunda's U20 team wasn't getting many opportunities. There's also I think some attitude questions, you know, he wanted really wanted to get promoted in Ferlunda, he ends up going to Lulia um and you know, I I think there's a lot there with him. That scouts have either just rubbed them the wrong way or they're not quite sure. So I think that uh, Fabian Lasalle is is really at risk of of slipping late in the first round. Maybe there's a team in that fifteen, you know, that the teens range that will will try and snap him up and and hope that uh, that gets out there. But I think he's one of those guys that that a lot of us in the public space like um, that you can read about and and see from all the rankings. You just look at his elite prospects page right now and you know, number 11 on the consolidated rankings. I think it's a very good chance that he'll be the guy that falls. If he doesn't, I would never be more happy uh, to be wrong because he's number 12 on my personal board. So I I really like the player and I think that there's more for him to show as he progresses throughout, um, you know, this season and into his, um, further into his pro career. All right. Our next one comes from uh, Norariak. I hope I'm pronouncing that right on the Twitter handle. Who does Minnesota pick in the top five in the 22 and 23 drafts? So we've got Minnesota Wild fans preparing for the worst after um, we have uh, Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter bought out. I mean, really a shocking piece of news that dropped on Tuesday. Michael Russo of the Athletic broke it, as he so often does on the Minnesota Wild beat. But uh geez, just uh, a lot to digest there for the wild. Um, but I would say that the nice thing is, is that they do have uh, an improved prospect pool. I think one of the things that that they've, they've managed to do is is bring in some some high-end talent and Matt Boldy is really exciting. Kalen Addison, who they acquired in a trade with Pittsburgh. Uh, very exciting prospect. you know there are some other guys that that could really round out well Adam Beckman, who, who was a superstar in the WHL last season. Um, so a lot to look forward to for the Wild in terms of looking ahead to twenty two and twenty three. I, I mean, you know, there is a lot of different uh, different players. I think if you're looking at the twenty three draft, one name to know if you're a Minnesotan is Charlie Stramel, and I've talked about him on the podcast before. He was outstanding uh, at the World Under eighteen Championship and is just scratching the surface of what he can be. Legit power forward. He's he's already huge as a young. Uh, 16-year-old playing on the U.S. National Team Development Program, um, made a commitment to the University of Wisconsin, and that's a guy to know for 2023. For 2022, um, you know, very interesting kind of, you know, top five guys, thinking about Matthew Savoy, Brad Lambert, those are guys that could be available uh, a little bit later than expected, or Ivan Marashnashenko from Russia. Uh, so those are the types of guys that you could be talking about. But I don't think Minnesota is is at, in a position now where they're going to be uh, tanking and looking for uh, top five situations. But I understand the the panic in Minnesota. By the way, the rest of these questions are now we've we've gotten through the 2021 draft questions, and now I'm just answering some of the other ones that I've got. Um, uh, this next one is college hockey related, and I have. One more draft one after that, and one more fun one after that. Tommy Di Martino asks, Does the recent NIL name name, image, and likeness ruling change anything between the NCAA and CHL? Could kids potentially play in both leagues without sitting out? Now, great question, and it's one that I think NCAA teams and and certainly player agents are trying to sort through right now. But The one thing I can say is in the immediate future, it does not change anything for the CHL rule. That is a rule that is in the NCAA bylaws about that specifically states CHL players are not eligible to play in the NCAA. Um, There are waivers that can be granted. I do believe that the COVID year and the different things, there are some CHL players that are attempting that that sat out all of last season are attempting to say that that's their way in to the NCAA, it's possible. I don't know for sure if that's going to happen, but I do know of a couple of uh, CCHA schools that are looking at trying to get eligibility for former CHL players um, if they sit out, you know, having if they sat out last year. So that's something to be aware of. I do think, however, that because there is this this new, you know, basic level of comfort with. NCAA athletes getting paid for their name, image, and likeness; that there is less of a reason now to deny entry to CHL players. And I know Alan Walsh, the player agent, has tweeted, you know, that that already about that and and saying, you know, there the NCAA could very well be at risk of an antitrust lawsuit um, just because of you know the, the, the that they would be barring CHL players. Essentially, if you don't have a pro contract. The argument is, is that you should be eligible, but because the CHL has players that are under NHL contract, that is where they, they kind of draw the line and, and specifically now, you know, it's in the rules. So that would have to get changed. I'm not saying it won't happen, but it's not going to happen quickly. Uh, certainly not as quickly as some of those players that would like to have an, other options available to them. So I, I, and I've said many times before, if you're a player that's on the fence about whether you want to go the NCAA or OHL route, I don't think that's a decision that you have to make at 16. Um, you know, play that extra year, go to one of those junior leagues that will allow you to stay eligible, and then by that time, you may have a better feel for what's available to you. Um, I also think it'd be interesting to find out if those players do go, uh, how would the, would the CHL honor or be forced to honor? the education packages for American universities, because I think there is some there, there's a little less flexibility in the schools that they are willing to uh, pay for. And obviously, if they were able to acquire scholarships from the university, that education package wouldn't be necessary. And I'm sure the CHL would love that as well. But there's a lot of moving parts of that. I think it's a great question. It's one that we'll be exploring further, especially heading into next college hockey season. But as of right now, it won't change very much. This next one comes from at Devs 2020. And it's this uh you know, this is an interesting question, and I, you know, I always debate answering it publicly. Um, but I this is from, from DevS 2020 again. I've always wondered if people like you who do independent scouting or scouting for publications, networks, even ever consider jumping to work for a team. Have you ever been offered a position with an NHL club? Would you ever consider working for one? So I I appreciate the question because you know it's not something I've been asked a ton, so I don't know what that says about my uh, <laughs> my abilities to evaluate players, but you guys be the judge of that. Um, so there are several people in the past that have worked for places like McKean's or the Redline Report or um, various other places that have moved on to jobs in hockey at the NHL level, scouting jobs at the NHL level. Um, and I, I know a few that I, that I still talk to often. So it is a path to the NHL for those that, that do it. I think there's a lot more work involved. Um, obviously I talk to scouts a lot. I'm, you know, I've got a, a, a lot of contacts in the scouting community. I have never been asked to work for a team in a scouting capacity um, I I have been asked this a few times. Only one of those times was it by somebody in the industry. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth. Um and I think the interesting thing is with this is have have I ever been offered a position or would I consider one? The the honest answer would I consider one is yes I would. Um and I think I'm closer to that now than I was when I was at ESPN where I was hellbent on being a writer first and and I've never actually called myself a scout. I definitely call them scouting reports and things like that, but um, I, I do view myself as a talent evaluator um, in some capacity. But I, I try not to use the title scout too much because I feel like that uh, doesn't give the proper respect to the people that do the actual scouting work i'm not able to be on the road as much as they are i don't have the budget for it um didn't even have it when i was at espn um but i was able to get to a lot of international tournaments and things like that and and that was all great um and really helpful to do the job but you know you think about these guys that are on the road so many nights a year away from their families in hotels eating a lot of takeout um, driving on scary roads in Canada and I've I've driven a few of them. I, I've been I've been down the roads in Saskatchewan a few times. So um but but being through, you know, having a lot of you know it's 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 not an easy lifestyle. It, it it can be fun, and if you're passionate about it, I'm sure there are a lot of guys that like it, but it's not an easy lifestyle. So that's why I try to stay away from calling myself a scout. But would I ever consider doing it? I, I would, but I will say that I am a writer first and so that has been my passion since i was a little kid um i didn't really know that i could make a career of it until essentially i started doing it um i went to school for broadcast journalism i thought i wanted to be a play-by-play guy um then i got involved in hockey and i realized i really liked the the process of evaluating players and watching their development and trying to figure out who's going to be the best and, and who's gonna gonna be the next thing but um, so, now that I'm independent and doing my own thing, there are a lot of reasons to consider scouting, namely because you know, being an independent journalist, I bet you're gonna imagine. Not a whole lot of money in that, folks. Uh, but if you do subscribe to Hockey Sense, and this is the shameless plug portion of the podcast, uh, that does help a little bit. But you know, I think that there's there's a, lo- a lot of things to consider there, like the steadiness of the job. Obviously, it's a very volatile market, just like the media business is, where you know GM gets fired and all of a sudden the whole staff is gone. You know, you look at the, what happened to, to Buffalo a few years ago, and I, I know a few people that. Uh, were were let go, and I know a few people that were still there. I mean, it's a scary business uh, that is 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 very difficult, and it can be cutthroat, and it can be um, really challenging and and competitive. Um, but I think there's a lot that I would need to learn over the the course of doing this. Uh, obviously, these conversations that I have with scouts, I feel like my eye is is good. I feel like my um, you know my feel for the game, my connections in the game, my understanding of the different levels of hockey um waiting different leagues and and also you know just kind of having uh, an understanding of the mechanics is something that would benefit me in in a position like that but um so basically this is way my way of saying I'll, i would never say never i would absolutely you know look into that i'm fascinated by the the profession um it sometimes it scares me uh, as well just knowing the the amount of travel that's involved the 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 difficulty the, the difficulties that it can you know put on a family but i, I also know plenty of scouts that have very f- happy family lives and uh and, and and are doing just great and they obviously have very patient wives and and props to them um and they you know but yeah it's something that i will absolutely always consider but nope never been offered I'm not sure that I will be. I'm happy with what I'm doing now. And I figured since we've got a podcast here, I've got a microphone, and, you know, if there's, you know, a few of you listening out there, might as well just be honest. And so I'd say, yes, I'd consider it. Uh, but I've never been asked. So I don't really know how far down the road I would get there. Oh, and I did want to say the things that I would need to learn. And I think that this is one of the great things about a scouting staff is, you know, the, the need for collaboration on but also for standing up for what you believe in. I think that's one of the more you know, more fascinating things about the whole process is, you know, if you have a player that you like and somebody's, you know, telling you that that's not what they see, you have to make your case and and I I that's something that I think I would have to get used to because obviously what I do right now is so individualized. Um, you know, I have conversations with scouts where we'll push back on each other, but not to the degree of what it would be like in a draft room. And so that's one thing that, you know, a a skill that I would love to develop over time, but it's not necessarily one that I feel like would, would uh, stand out for me at this point. So, uh, yeah. So I didn't know that I would go that long on that question. Sorry for rambling, but um, it's something that I, I guess maybe I was even thinking out loud as I was talking. You probably, you guys probably picked that up, right? So uh, anyway, well, scattered answer for Devs 2020, but thank you for the question. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of great scouts out there who got started on on this side of things and, and have built pretty, pretty solid careers and have uh, a lot going for them. All right. Our last question comes from a frequent questioner of my Q&As. He always brings the heat. At Sean Leahy of NBC Sports, who is the better first round talent? Dean Youngblood, Adam Banks, or Jack from Most Valuable Primate? Just going straight to the movies. I love it, Sean. You always bring the heat. And, and I think if I'm being completely honest, I'm going Adam Banks for the sheer reason of upside. Um, there are a lot of good players in Adina. I do worry about you know kind of being a cake eater that he is. If there's a little sense of entitlement, um, if things haven't quite been so hard for him, at how he handles adversity. Now we did see him handle that that slash um, in the Iceland game. Uh, obviously, was able to you know he had to sit out a little bit. Really frustrating with all the scouts that were were scouting a a children's tournament, um, you know. So I guess there are scouts at the brick tournament too. So whatever, but you know a lot of slashing going on there. Um, uh, and he he recovers. He comes back. You know makes a makes some great moves in the in the shootout there. Obviously made the varsity as a freshman at at Eden Hall as well. Um, not easy to do. Um, you know, I think that that was, that was certainly, uh, a a bit of a slap in the face to the rest of the ducks. So, you know, loyalty is another thing that I value pretty highly. Um, but I will say in terms of pure skill level and pure upside, I got him over Dean Youngblood. I mean, Youngblood is a heck of a player. Um, you know, I think there's certainly, there were some toughness concerns for a while there. Um, and then Jack for most valuable primate, Sean, I gotta be completely honest with you. I've never seen that movie and I don't plan to. Um, so, uh, I can't give Jack from most valuable primate, a, a a clear grade, uh, with, so I guess I'm just going Banksy. I'm going Banksy. Adam Banks, number 99, weird number. I mean, come on, kid. Not cool, right? Not cool, but you know, whatever you're Banksy, you can do what you want. So, uh, I guess we'd have to unretire 99 league wide. Um, just to make sure that whatever team he goes on, he's able to wear his preferred number. Cause that's what you do for kids from Medina. Um, and yeah, but even I like completely seward the player that I'm picking first round, but you know, skill wins, I guess go Banksy. All right. Well, I guess that's it. I run out of questions. We'll probably do this again. Send in your questions for next week. You can always hit me up at Chris M. Peters on Twitter, HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com. And also if you are a Hockey Sense subscriber, you can ask questions right there in the comment section. I will always answer those first. My thanks to everyone that sent in questions today to provide the content for this podcast and allow me to talk to myself without really talking to myself it means a lot to me. I hope that you guys got something out of this podcast. I hope that you'll get something out of our next one. I'll have a lot more in next week's podcast about what to look for at the NHL draft. I'll also be talking about what to look for on Hockey Sense for the coverage. I plan got a lot of plans. Still sorting through them all. Um, I'll be in Plymouth, Michigan during the draft because the World Junior Summer Showcase is starting that same weekend so I will already be there so I will be away from home base so hopefully I can provide the same level of coverage that you've come to know and love um, and I really really appreciate you checking out this podcast so once again please subscribe rate review help us out give us those written reviews they really help five stars unless you didn't like my answers today then you know five and a half stars four stars whatever just try to be nice and since apparently I don't know how to close a podcast anymore, I'm just going to end it there. So I really appreciate all you guys checking this one out. I hope you'll enjoy uh, this, pot, this episode, the coverage that we have coming up on Hockey Sense and certainly next week's as well as we head into the draft. We'll also have a draft recap podcast. And again, still not ending the podcast. So uh, yeah, I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. Thank you so much for joining me this week. We'll catch you next time.